Uh, we are starting a, a, um, a new series that we kind of kicked off a few weeks ago. And how many of you are right now involved in financial peace life groups that we're doing? Just raise your hand if you're involved in that. Awesome. Most of you here are doing that. We are, uh, so right now what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to start for today and the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about and hear some of the stuff that we're learning about uh, on, on whatever night of the week or, or day of the week that you're doing a life group. And we're going to be talking about momentum and gaining momentum in our finances and learning how to do finances God's way. Now, now one of the things that we decided as a church a few weeks ago when we, we kicked this off and we started doing life groups is we decided we wanted to, uh, to, to not be normal uh, in, because cause normal in America is, is, is not what God wants for us when it comes to our finances. See, right now in America, uh, normal is being up to your eyeballs in debt. Uh, in America right now, normal is not having enough money saved to deal with an emergency. That's kind of the way normal is. That's the way most Americans operate. See, because in America right now, normal means broke. It just, that's what it means. Normal means broke. And and we've decided as a church that that we would rather try to live in every area of our lives, including our finances, live under the principles that God has outlined that we can read in the Scripture, we can read in the Bible, and the things that, that Jesus taught when he was on this earth. Jesus talked a lot about money when he was here. If you read through the Gospels, those are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels because they mean good news. And if you read through the four Gospels, you will see that Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. He talked about money more than he talked about eternity, which is hard to believe for us, but, but Jesus had some very specific things to teach about money, and so we want to try to live by those things. And, and we as a church, we, we believe that, that if we all as a church can learn how to, to not be normal, but, but learn how to live with our finances under God's principles, that we will be healthier as a church. I want you to imagine with me, just for a minute, if you will, I want you to imagine what the future might look like if we can all do this. Imagine what it would be like for, for you to, to no longer have any student loans. Um, yeah, some of you are like living that right now. Imagine what it would look like for you to not have a car payment. Uh, imagine what it would be like for you to be able to answer the phone and not have to worry that it's some bill collector or debt collector breathing down your neck to pay that bill that you haven't paid. Or imagine what it would be like to not get a credit card bill anymore at the end of the month, or to get one and the bottom line say zero. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, and so we, I believe that we can get there, but it's going to take some hard work. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the, for the next five weeks, today and in the following four weeks, right up until, until Easter. And we're going to talk for the next five weeks about what the five characteristics are of a church that is in financial peace. When, I, when we as people, as believers in, in Jesus, when we are living in financial peace, what will we be like? What, what are those characteristics? And the first one that we're going to talk about today is that, that a church that is experiencing financial, financial peace trusts God completely. Cut, trusts God completely. See, one of the things that, that I think we will, will discover, and, and some of you have already there, you've you're living this and you could stand up and, and, and testify to it, is that when you really get to the point where you trust God completely with your finances, you are going to discover that that, that is how you can be content. That when you trust God completely, that one of the byproducts of that is contentment. Now, 
contentment is a word that we don't hear a lot in our society. In fact, in our culture, um, our culture does everything it can to keep us from being content. There are ad, ad agencies that are spending billions of dollars every year to try to convince you that you're not content. In fact, they want you to feel anything but content. Why? Because they've got something they're trying to sell you. And what do they do when they try to sell you this stuff? They try to tell you things like, hey, uh, this is what you need to make you happy. Or don't get left behind. Everyone else is going to have this and you're not. Or your life is going to be so much better if you have this. Uh, several, it's been a few years ago now, we, were, um, we went to Columbia to take my, my, uh, my niece Kylie out for her birthday. And she wanted to go to... Uh, a place called Rita's Italian Ice. I, I don't even know if they have those up here. I've never, I'd never seen one, but, but there's one down there on Harvison Boulevard, and that was her favorite place, was Rita's Italian Ice. And so we took her to Rita's Italian Ice. When we got there, I saw the logo for Rita's Italian Ice, and I just almost started laughing out loud. And I've got a picture of it here. This is the logo for Rita's Italian Ice. Can you read? It says Rita's now, can you read the three words that it says under there? Let's read them all out loud together. This is what Rita's Italian Ice is promising you when you come there and you buy a little frozen thing for five bucks. This is what they're promising you. They're promising you ice. Let's say it together. What's the second one? Custard. And then the third one, let's say it real loud, happiness. Woo! Man. So if you're in depressed right now, if you're having a rough time, you're just one cup of custard away from having happiness. I mean, what, what a thing to advertise. But it's not just Rita's Italian Ice. All of our society, they are, they are advertising to us. They are telling us, listen, if you buy this product, if you, do, if you join this gym, if you switch from charter to dish or from dish to charter, you are finally going to be happy. And it's going to be the thing that you've always needed. And it all has to do with us spending our money to try to get happy. Now, Let's be honest for a minute, though. We don't really mind the advertising that much. Sometimes it might get on our nerves, but I don't think we mind it that much. And, and here's why. Because we really like stuff, don't we? Now, I, maybe I don't want to speak for you, but I'm just being honest with you. I like stuff. I like stuff a lot. In fact, if you were to come up to me today and you said, Cliff, I've got $25,000 I want to give you. First of all, we would be best friends immediately. But, but if you were to come up to me today and say, I've got $25,000 I want to give you, but here's the stipulation. You cannot spend it on bills. You cannot spend it to pay off debt. You cannot spend it on your kids because the kid will suck up $25,000 like that. You cannot spend it on your wife. You've got to spend it for yourself. Can't spend it on your house. It's got to be for you. Cliff, this is your $25,000. You've got to spend it, and it's got to be spent by Friday. Let me tell you something. By about 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, I can have that stuff gone. Because I've got a list in my head all the time. Now, it's, I've never written it down. It's not on a hard drive somewhere. But in my head, I have a list of stuff that I, boy, if I had money, I'd buy that. If I had money, I'd buy that. That right there looks awesome. I'd buy that. I've got that list of stuff. And I think you're probably the same way. We really, really like stuff. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who, who's written the, the financial peace stuff that we're using on, uh, on, uh, we, on I say Wednesday nights because that's when I go, during the week, whatever you do, life group, uh, he has a word for, for this love we have of stuff. He says that if we love it too much, it can become a sickness, and he calls it stuffitis. 
And we can begin to suffer from stuffitis. And it's like breaking out in a rash and we've got a bad case of stuffitis. And one of the, one of the side effects or one of the, the symptoms of stuffitis is nearsightedness. Because we get to a point to where we can only see what's right in front of us. And that's what we want and we think we need that right there. And we don't understand what the long-term consequences will be. And so that's why we will see something and we'll pull out Visa, we'll pull out MasterCard, we'll pull out American Express, and we'll say, I'm going to get that today. Instead of waiting and saving your money for six months, and then you can buy it and then you don't owe anybody for it. But when we have stuffitis, we're so nearsighted that we'll buy it today and we won't even worry about the 16% interest that's going to pile up if we don't pay that thing off by the end of the month. And we know we're not going to pay it off by the end of the month. And so stuffitis can, can be a, a, a real problem for us. And, it, and it's natural for us to be like that because of the society we live in. We, we live in an instant gratification society, don't we? we? We live in a society where we can get something immediately. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, I'll, be, I'll be looking on YouTube to, to watch videos of people falling off of trampolines because that's really why the internet was invented, was for cool videos like that. And I'll be sitting there and, and they'll be you're like, you know, oh, here's a, an eight-minute compilation of people just busting their tail on trampolines. This is, what I, this is what I need right here to make my day. And I'll hit play on that, and then all of a sudden you get that little circle and it's buffering, and I'm like, come on, what is the deal? I cannot believe buffering. Buffering is the worst thing in the world because I have to wait an extra 15 seconds to see some big, huge dude fall off a trampoline, and that's just ruining my day. And that's kind of the way we operate, isn't it? We believe, I want this now, and, I, and because we're used to that. That's what we've gotten used to, that we have an instant gratification society. Well, when we deal with our money like that, when we start to deal with our stuff like that, that can cause us all kinds of problems. When we begin to say, I want that now and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it right now, then there's long-term consequences that come about as a result of that. But what we want to do as a church We want to give you the tools, and we want to, together as a church, we want to learn how to trust God completely when it comes to our finances. And if we will trust God completely, then we will find contentment. There was an author one time who wrote that the definition of contentment, and you won't find this in in Webster's Dictionary, but he said the definition of contentment is your soul at rest. And I love that idea because for most of us, when, when we think about money, our soul is anything but at rest. In fact, we're probably the opposite. For most of us, we would say that we're restless instead of content. We're restless when we think about that, that, uh, that, that raise that you deserve but you didn't get. You're restless when you think about the fact that, oh my goodness, now it's about to be spring and i got to get new clothes because the ones I wore last year aren't any good anymore. And We're restless when we think about this car has got a bad muffler on it and what am I going to do? Well, I'll just go buy a new car. And all that stuff gets restless in our hearts. And see, restlessness, when restlessness grows in our heart, then contentment begins to die. Well, there was a, a guy in the, in, that lived around the time of Jesus and then after the time of Jesus, and his name was Paul. And uh, he, he was, most of you might have heard of him, he goes by Apostle Paul is what we call him, and, and uh, he, he wrote most of the New Testament. And if you'll look with me in the book of Philippians, if you've got your Bibles or, or you can pull up your Bible on your phone, look in Philippians. If you don't have your Bible, look up on the screen. 
We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And Paul had something very interesting to say about contentment. This is what he said, starting with verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I want you to understand something about Paul in him saying here that he's learned how to be content in any situation. Verse 11 there, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me tell you the situation he was in when he wrote those words. When he wrote those words, see, this is a, this is a letter that he wrote to a church in a place called Philippi. So that's why it's called Philippians. It's written to the people there. They were called Philippians. And so he, he was writing this letter because the church there had sent someone to see Paul and to bring him something. Now, why had they sent someone to see Paul and bring him something? Because when Paul wrote this, now keep in mind, he already said that he is content where he is. When he wrote this, he was in a Roman prison waiting to be executed. This is a letter from a man on death row. And he is saying to the people that sent him this package, that sent him this messenger, he's saying, I appreciate what you've done. I'm really excited that you've done it. But I want you to understand that even if you had not sent anything, I'm content where I am. I know I'm waiting to be executed. I know I've been put in prison unjustly. But I am content where I am. And, and that's so different than the way we lives our, live our lives, isn't it? The way we live our lives is, is we, we t- most of the time, we think about where we would rather be, and if we could be there, then we would be content. Then we would be happy. We have a restlessness about where we are. But see, what Paul understood, and, and it says here in verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, in any <coughs> and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is saying there, listen, I've had it great, and now I don't have it so great. He, he's saying, I've had money before, now I don't have any money. I've had power before, now I don't have any power. I've had freedom before, now I don't have any freedom. And it doesn't matter if I've got money, I don't have money. If I have power, I don't have power. I am content with wherever it is that God has placed me. Because Paul understood something important. Paul understood that contentment is about what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. Now, that's good. You ought to write that down right there. I'm just telling you. You're going to need to read that on Thursday because something bad's going to happen to you financially this week. Yeah, uh, seriously, we need to remember that. Contentment is about what's in our heart, not what's in our hand. And, it, and Paul is saying, he says there in verse 13, who does he have in his heart? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. By the way, high school boys, that verse means more than just you being able to hit a home run or score a touchdown. That is the most memorized verse by high school boy athletes. You get a hundred football players in here that are high school and say, hey, what's your favorite verse? 
Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, and He's going to give me the strength to beat the daylights out of the other team this Friday night. That's what we've taught them. That is totally taken out of context. That's fine. You can believe it for that. But what Paul is talking about there, he's not talking about hitting home runs or scoring touchdowns or hitting three-pointers. He's talking about, I'm in prison. Everything's been taken from me. I have nothing, and I can deal with that. I can live that life only because Jesus has given me the strength to do it. Because it's about what was in his heart, which was Jesus, not what was in his hand, which at that time was nothing. See, there's, there's, there's three characteristics that I want to talk to you today about what it means to be content. And the first one is this. Contentment means trusting God. That's what we've been talking about all morning. Contentment means trusting God. And, and listen, that's easier to say than it is to do. It, that, that's kind of like, uh, I don't know. How many of you, uh, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of you in here have kids or you've raised kids already. And you remember, remember when you left your kid at home by themselves for the first time? Remember, remember that, that? You could probably remember exactly when it happened. And, and you, maybe it was your first child and, and you never had a child and you left them home by themselves for the first time. I remember when we left Emily, our oldest home, by herself for the first time. She was about three and we just had to run. No, I, I'm just kidding. I don't remember how old she was. But we we didn't have far to go. We were just, I mean, it was really not far at all. We just had to run up the road, and she was probably about 11 or 12. I don't know how old she was. And so we left, and we gave her a gazillion instructions, even though we were going to be gone. Stay in your room. Keep the phone with you. If somebody knocks on the door, don't go to the door. You know, don't turn on the oven. You just all kind of just crazy stuff. Sit here in the middle of the room by yourself. Surround yourself with stuffed animals so everything will be safe. You know, we gave all this stuff. And, and, and we left, and I can remember leaving and felt pretty good. Oh, yeah, Emily's responsible. She's not going to do anything crazy, and everything's going to be okay. We're going to be just gone a little bit. It wasn't long, though, before we got out of the driveway, pulled out of the neighborhood, and I started thinking of all the stuff that could go wrong. Just started coming into my mind. And leaving was easy, but then staying gone was difficult. And I kind of worried about it all the way till we got home. And we found her at home, surrounded by stuffed animals. No, not really, but she was there at home, and everything was fine. And, and sometimes that's what trusting God for us is like, especially in regards to our finances. We talk about it here today. You'll talk about it at your life group whenever night of the week that that meets. And you'll, you'll hear Dave Ramsey, and he'll talk about saving and budgeting and paying off debt and preparing for retirement and doing all this stuff, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really good. Until you get into the real world and you get in there and then you think, man, this is harder to do than it was when we were just talking about it. Once we start getting into it, I start worrying about all the things I might miss out on or worrying about all the things that might What? Well, I, I really don't want to drive this car for another 10 years. So you start worrying about that. And may, I guess I ought to just go ahead and buy a new one. And so trusting God is easier to talk about than it is to do. And, and we, start to, we start to worry about, well, what if, I, what if I can't live like all these other people around me? I don't want to be left behind on all this stuff. And, and what happens is, is we begin to trust more in our credit. We begin to trust more in that piece of plastic in our wallet than we do in trusting God. But if we're going to find contentment financially, it's got to begin with us trusting God. The second, second characteristic of of a church or of people that, 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 are, that are content is that contentment means being thankful for what you have. Contentment means being thankful for what you have. See, one, one of the things that, that contentment does, I mean, that, that uh, excuse me, that stuffitis does, 
when we have stuffitis, one of the side effects of stuffitis is, is how it makes you feel about what you already own. Well, you can be just as happy as you can be with your phone, right? And I got this phone, man, it is so awesome. And I can watch YouTube videos of people falling off of trampolines. Right, I can carry that around with me right here in my hand. It's awesome. Amazing. I can send emails and, and attach videos of people falling off of trampolines to an email and send it to a friend. I can do that right here with my phone. And you can feel good about that phone until you're watching TV one night and you see the commercial for the new iPhone. And, oh, man, it's got a thing where you can just put your thumb on it and it reads your thumbprint and it opens it up for you. You don't even have to type in a code anymore. That's amazing. And, and you start, or it, it maybe for you it's not a phone, it could be anything. It, it could be you feel fine about the vehicle you drive until you, your buddy picks you up to go fishing and he picks you up in his 2014 truck. And you get in that thing and it's all got heated seats, which who needs a truck with heated seats, but they make them now like that. And it's got all kind of stuff and it's got places to put fishing rods and, and just all kind of crazy stuff. It's got Wi-Fi. It's a, it's a traveling Wi-Fi thing. So you can watch videos of people falling off of trampolines on the way to fishing. And so, so it, it, you were fine with your truck until your buddy picked you up in his 2014 truck. And, and that's one of the things that stuffitis does for us. It makes us then look at the stuff we have, and now we're not thankful for it anymore. We look at it as a problem. But if we're going to be content, we've got to learn to be thankful for what we already have. I, I heard a, a, a missionary couple one time speak, and they were serving overseas in Africa. And, uh, and they talked about how they, they had been there for years when, when I heard them speak. And the woman was telling a story, and she was talking about contentment. And she said that, that when they got to where they were serving in Africa, uh, they, they got there, and they did have running water, but, but they did not have a, a washing machine or a dryer. And the, 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 the missionary agency that sent them said, we wish we could afford to give you one, but we don't have one. And she said, that's no problem. And so for the first couple years that she lived there, she had to wash everything in big tubs by hand. And she said she never had a problem with that. It never crossed her mind to, to think that was an issue. It, it, she just, that was part of living there, and she was great with that. She was happy to be where she was, and she was content with every time she had to wash clothes, that she had to get three tubs of water, one with soap in it, one to rinse, and another one to rinse later. And she was fine with all that stuff. Until she gets a message from the missionary agency that had sent her about two years in, and they sent her a message and they said, hey, good news, we're going to be able to get you a washing machine. It should arrive in about three to five months. She said that the minute she found out that she had a washing machine on the way, she hated washing in the tubs. Because now her mind was on something that she thought she deserved and that she was told she was going to get. And she said that was the longest several weeks. I think it ended up being about four months. Said it was the longest four months that she spent in Africa was while she was waiting on that washing machine to arrive. Because she, every time she, she washed, she thought, I'm, I wish I didn't have to do this. I can't believe I have to do this. I cannot wait till that washing machine gets here. And what was it? It was when she had her mind set on something else, on a piece of something, uh, on stuff, then it caused her not to be thankful 
for where she was and what was going on. See, we can convince ourselves that what we have just isn't good enough, and it, it can be brand new. It can be top of the line, but we can convince ourselves that we need something else or that we need two of them. Man, this one's so good, I need a couple of these. And, and, and we're great at doing that. And what we need to do instead is we need to repeat Philippians 4.12 to ourselves over and over again. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I think we ought to say to ourselves, I think it'd be fun for you, and you can do this at home later on, it'd be fun for you, and this is not blasphemous, don't, don't, don't shout me down if you're you know, a theologian or anything, but reword that verse to make it real for you in, in everyday language. The end of it there where it says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You could say, I have learned the secret of facing life with a brand new iPhone 5C or whatever the new one is, or a old Motorola flip phone where the three button doesn't work and if you've got a number with a three in it, I can't call you anymore. I've learned the secret of doing both of those. Or I've learned the secret of facing life with a 2014 Super Duty Ford with a V8 6.2 liter engine or a 1994 Chevy S10 with no air conditioning. That either one of them I'm okay with. And we ought to be able to look at the stuff we have and start to thank God for that. In fact, what I would encourage you to do when you get home today, I want you to just walk through your house and look at that old nasty stuff that's in your house. Look at that old nasty carpet that you want to replace. Look at, you know, look at that car in the garage that, that, that you really hate to get in every Monday when it's time to go to work or time to go to school. And I want you to thank God for that. And maybe you could even make a list. Things that I have that I should remember to be thankful for. Because thankfulness is like fertilizer for contentment. It makes contentment grow. And it's like weed killer for restlessness. It kills restlessness. If we can learn to be thankful for what we have, it will grow contentment in our hearts and it will kill off restlessness. Now the third thing that, that we, we should have if we're content as a, as a church with our finances is this. Contentment means giving generously. Contentment means giving generously. I know, all right, some of you right now, you, I, I've done this before, but it's like that scene in Coming to America in the barbershop. Some of you right now are like, oh, there you go, there you go. They got to talk about giving now. Some of you walked in today and you thought, we're going to be talking about money. I wonder, and you, you started a stopwatch. How long is it going to take the preacher to say something about me giving my money? I don't know how many minutes in are we. I, I don't know how long it's been, 30 minutes or so we're in. So yeah, we're going to talk about giving for just a little bit. And here's why. Because, first of all, we teach giving here because it's biblical. We try to teach what's in the Bible. And it is biblical. But the other reason is this. We teach giving because it is, if you will engage in the practice of giving generously, it is life-giving for the person who gives. And, and when, when I say to you, contentment means giving generously, I want you to understand something. That's not just a slogan that I'm up here saying. It's not just something that I thought, hey, that'll be a good point in today's message. That is something that I have experienced. That's something that Donnie has experienced. That's something that our elders have experienced. That's something that many of you here today have experienced, that you would say, yes, when I started giving generously, I began to be more content with the things that I already had. I began to be more content with my finances. There is, there's a mystery about giving. 
There's a mystery about giving generously. There's something about giving generously that changes your view of the world. There's something about giving generously that changes your view of your stuff. See, when, when you tithe, and that's an old-timey word that means 10%, and, and, let me, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I could, I could do a whole series on this. But tithing means 10%. That's what, that's what the Old Testament told us to give, and that's what was continued to be practiced up through today. And you need to understand that giving 10% of your total finances, that is viewed by the Bible and in Scripture as the starting point. That you're supposed to start at 10%. But when you tithe, when you really do that, when you give 10% or 11 or 12 or 15 or 25% and you give that amount of your finances away and you don't keep it for yourself, what that does is is that begins to, to grow something in you where you begin to say to God, I'm trusting you to take care of me. I believe that you know better what to do with my finances, God, than I know what to do. Even though I'm the one that went and worked for it, even though I'm the one that had to do 60 hours last week to get that paycheck, I believe that when it came to me and I put it into my bank account, that if I give 10%, 15% of that to you, you know better how to use that than me, and I trust you to use it for that. I'm so passionate about giving generously and the fact that it builds contentment in our lives because of my own experience. And I've shared this story before, so I'm not going to share all of it. But I'll just say this. When I look back at my life, I can see what I would call spiritual mile markers. I can see events in my life that happened that that changed me spiritually, that I was was no longer the same after that happened. The the very first one for me was when I was eight years old and I, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, I didn't understand every detail of the cross and the resurrection and, and sub, you know, all, all the theological words and, and all that stuff. I didn't understand all that at age 8, but I understood that I had sinned and I had done things wrong and that Jesus died on a cross to forgive me of that and I needed to accept Him for that forgiveness. And so that was the first spiritual mile marker in my life. Things were different after that day. The second one was about eight years later when I was 16. And through some events that happened in my life and other things, I began to get serious about my relationship with Christ. I began to understand, you know what? I need to go to high school and I need to try to live like a Christian instead of just showing up and hoping nobody finds out I go to church and all that kind of stuff. And I began to get serious about my relationship with Christ when I was 16. Another one was when my freshman year of college. And that was the time when I first started really reading the Bible and studying it every single day. And I can remember my freshman year, every night before I went to bed, I was reading the Bible. I'd never done that in my life where I read it every single day. And it began to do something to me and change me inside. Another spiritual mile marker in my life was when I got my giving in order. And that happened after I was an adult, married, and serving on staff at a church. And I was serving on staff at a church and I wasn't tithing. And we would stand up there and we'd talk about tithing and I knew that I wasn't tithing. I was, not only was I not tithing, I didn't even like to give the little bit I was given. I was an uncheerful giver. Scripture says you're supposed to be a cheerful giver. I was an angry giver. I was giving because I, I felt like I had to because I was on staff at this church, but I didn't like what I was given and that's the way I was living. And a spiritual mile marker in my life happened when, when I decided and Sherry and I talked about it and we decided, you know what? We're going to give. We're going to give what we're supposed to give. We're going to give the tithe. 
We're gonna, we sat down, we figured out how much money we made, and we figured out how much was 10%. That was math that even I could do, even though I'm remedial in math. And we, and we broke that down into 52 weeks, and we started writing that check every week. And when we did that, something changed in me. Now, it didn't change right away. It's not like the first Sunday I gave that, that I came home and went, Woo, man, Jesus is awesome, and I'm giving to Him. No. The first week I gave, I thought, I, I could do something else with that money. But as I continued to give, God began to change my heart. And, and let, me, let me explain something to you that happened for me, and I know that it's happened for others of you because I've talked to you about it. The change of heart happened after the action. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, Cliff, I'm going to start giving generously as soon as God changes my heart then you are going to die never having given. Because what happens, and I don't understand why it is, I don't understand the concept, but let me tell you how it happens is, you begin to give, you begin to act, and then God changes your heart. Something about your action and His faithfulness, it combines together to do a work in your heart. And by obeying God, it unlocked my heart. It unlocked generousness in my heart that had never been there before. I was a stingy, stingy dude until I began to give what God told me to give. So, so, so here's the thing. We've, we've talked about three things today that, that can lead to contentment. We talked about giving generously. We talked about being thankful for what you have. And we talked about trusting God. Now, I understand that, that those three things are, are really not normal for the society we live in. I understand it's normal in society not to give away 10% of what you earn. It's normal not to be thankful for what you have. It's normal to trust more in yourself than to trust in God. But I want to challenge you today to begin to try to practice those things, to try to practice thankfulness, to try to practice giving generously. And, and then what's going to happen when you do that is you're going to begin to see a change. Now, it's going to be uncomfortable at first. And here's why. We're talking about a long-term solution. And any long-term solution is uncomfortable at first. If you want to learn how to, to run 50 miles or 26.2 miles like a marathon like some of y'all have run, you, you know that the first few miles you ran, that was uncomfortable because you were like me. You were fat and out of shape and not running every day. And so it was hard for you to start doing that. And it doesn't matter, whatever it is, and it's going to be the same thing with your finances. It's going to, the change is going to be uncomfortable at first, but we're talking about a long-term goal, and those small changes at first will pay big dividends later. I want you to look past today and focus on what your long-term goals are. Focus on what would it be like if I could retire early or retire at all. Some of you right now, you're sitting there and you're looking at your finances and go, I'm going to have to work until I drop dead at work to pay all this stuff off. Well, what would it be like if you could retire? What would it be like if you could send your child to school and when they offer you that student loan, you could say, we don't need that. We're going to pay for this on our own. What would it be like if you could pay off your house and still live in it and it be the way you want it to be? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? So there's some long-term goals out there, but we've got to do some short-term things to get there. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things 
through him who who strengthens me. And that includes changing your financial future. I want to ask you two questions today, and you can write these down on the back of your your card there so you can answer these later on and talk about them with your your husband, your wife, or, or whoever it is you do your finances with. Two questions are this. First one is, what has God given you? What has God given you? I'm talking about finances, I'm talking about houses, I'm talking about all the stuff that you have, and it came from God's hand, not yours. What has God given you? And then the second thing is, what is keeping you from contentment? What is keeping you from contentment? What is the thing that you've got your mind on that you think, if I could just have that, I'd be happy? That's keeping you from contentment. And I want you to answer those questions this week. I want you to continue to go to Life Group. And I want you to put into practice the stuff you're learning. Because I think it can make a huge difference for your life and for the life of this church. Now, as we finish, before I pray, let me just say this again. And I'm going to say it at the beginning of this series because I want to be sure that that we're communicating uh, very clearly about this. We're doing this because we want you to experience financial freedom for yourselves. It will make us a stronger church. It will increase giving to the budget. I know all that. But it's not like we sat down together and we said, oh my gosh, we got to figure out a way to get people to give more money to the budget. I heard about financial peace, let's do that. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because we want you to experience this. We want you to learn what it's like because we believe that not only will this church be stronger, but this whole community will be stronger if we had an army of Christians who had money at their disposal to give when they saw needs. We believe that if we had, we believe that if every Christian in Greenville County was debt free, then we wouldn't have to worry about homeless people anymore. We wouldn't have to worry about feeding hungry people because we would be doing it because we'd have the money to do it and God would be saying, all that money you got extra, give it to those folks. But right now we can't do it. Why? Because we all have credit card debt and we're all paying on cars and we're all paying on student loans. But we want to see a change happen in this church and in this community and we believe that if we get our finances in order and do what God tells us to do financially, that change can happen. I want to pray for us. We're going to go out of here Come back next week. Bring someone with you. We're going to continue talking about the characteristics of a financially free church, and it's just going to get better next week. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us an opportunity to learn about what you want us to do with our money. We all deal with it. And I'm so thankful that the Bible, even though it was written so long ago, and it was written in a place that most of us will never visit, that it speaks to what we're dealing with today in 2014 right here in the upstate of South Carolina. And so as we walk out of here today, I pray that we would walk out knowing that you have given us a commandment to be responsible with our finances and that we would walk out of here inspired to obey that because you are a great God and you deserve for us to do what you've asked us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.